Hey y'all, welcome to another edition of the Knollcast. I'm your host, Bud Elliott. Ingram is still in Montana, so another solo show for me, but as we'll see soon, uh, we're about to be joined by a guest, and so that'll be pretty cool. As always, the show is brought to you by Louisiana Hot Sauce. Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, one great taste. Uh, I've had numerous people send us photos of them using Louisiana on their meals, and man, it, it's it's just a great great product. I had some last night and uh, always keep some stocked in my pantry. Just nothing better for it. So great Knoll company and I very much appreciate them supporting us. So Florida State one and one and in the preseason we said there's two spots you can't afford injury. One is linebacker and the other, the greater concern, is offensive line, especially at tackle. And I went back and listened to to my season preview show on the offensive line. And we said, hey, adjust, adjust expectations downward a lot if you lose a tackle. Well, the preseason line for FSU's game at Syracuse, which kicks off on noon or at noon on Saturday, that line was nine and a half. It's now three or heck, maybe two and a half in some places. That says a lot. But I think that line is is deserved because of how Florida State has played. They actually played worse against Sanford, which, I'm, you know, to be honest, I'm struggling to figure out how much that was because of the short week and how much that was because those kids were, were feeling sorry for themselves because they were all hyped up to beat Vatek and ended up, you know, coming out and playing some situations poorly and, and kind of laying an egg despite the fact that they, you know, they moved the ball for over five yards of play against Vatek and, and actually outgained him on a yard to play basis. But I'm not trying to rehash the Virginia Tech game. I'm just you know kind of going back and thinking, you know, how did Florida State get to to this point in the season to where they're only favored by three on the road at Syracuse? And you know, my main thing is your quarterback's not comfortable in the system yet. And your offensive linemen, they're not really able to block. And I think we thought that the starters would be decent and the backups would be terrible. And I don't think that statement was really far off. You had Landon Dickerson playing right tackle. Well, he's a guard playing tackle. Now you have, what, Derek Kelly or Brady Scott playing tackle? They're guards playing tackle. I don't know that Derek Kelly has regained his same form after his knee injury in terms of athleticism. On the interior, you know, it's Arthur Williams who just started playing offensive line. He was a D-tackle through three years of his career. And Mike Arnold, who... I don't think anybody really projected as a starter on this team. So that is is how you can do it. But as we'll, as we'll see when we hear from our guest, you know, there's a chance for uh, maybe to get right against the Syracuse defense, which which did give up uh, over nine yards of play to Western Michigan. And I'll ask our guest about that, about just how that happened and and whether that's truly reflective of of Syracuse as a defense. I will say, though, that it, it, if you're going to make a bowl, and I'm not one of these doomsday guys who, who thinks that, that they're not going to make a bowl for sure, but I, I do think it's fair to, to believe that a bowl is now in jeopardy. If you're going to make a bowl, I, it's hard to project the path of making a bowl without getting this win this weekend. And I think the bowl streak is something a lot of people care about. And you catch a couple injuries against the – you know, preseason number one, number two schedule in the nation. I think now it's rated five or six, but still, you, you know, you catch a couple injuries on, on a team that what, lost six games last year. 
you can miss one. So they, they kind of need to go out there and get this one this weekend for bowl eligibility. Because if you get that, you know, then I, I think you're you're feeling better about yourself coming home the next weekend. Northern Illinois, I mean, we're getting, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. But Northern Illinois hit you. But I don't think offensively Northern Illinois can score enough to actually beat FSU in Tallahassee. There's a there's a path to get to three to one, and feeling good about this team, not feeling good like hey this team's going to win nine ten games, but feeling better you know better than even shot to make a bowl game. So that's just something they're going to have to do. With that, I guess it's time to talk to the guest. All right, very pleased now to welcome in our guest John Casillo of the tremendous Syracuse blog on the SP Nation Network, uh, Noon's Magician. Already done a great Q and A with John for our uh, Tomahawk Nation website, and now here's the little audio component uh, to that as well. John, what's going on? How's it going, bud? Going well, man. Going well. Just, uh, you know, kind of in, ready to see what, what happens. I think both these teams have some defined strengths or at least positional strengths and uh, also some, uh, I guess, positions which we can say are a little bit up in the air maybe? To say the least. Yeah. <laughs> so if you would just – Give Florida State fans, I don't know, a, a couple-minute rundown of what you were thinking about this team this year and then if your opinion has changed at all in the first two weeks. I know in Tallahassee our, our opinion has changed a, a decent bit about the Knolls. Sure. I mean, you know, going into the year, I think we saw a lot of experience at the uh, in the offensive line. We had, you know, everybody back. Aaron Roberts missed last year uh, as our guard. Uh, we had Coda Martin come in as Texas A&M transfer. So we, we, we were pretty high on that group. Running backs didn't really change. We were turning over a lot at receiver, but we figured offensive line and Dungy, we, we definitely stood a chance. On defense, Syracuse revealed in like August that we were switching to a base nickel scheme uh, to combat the fact that we lost their top four linebackers from last year. Defensive line's pretty much the same. Secondary is still pretty young. I, I think most of us were were on board with six and six as like a. I wouldn't say like overly aggressive estimate, but six and six sounded like, okay, like this is if everything breaks right. And then like if something insane happens, maybe we win seven. But six was kind of like the, okay, like this is what happens if everything breaks right. If everything breaks wrong, we could be looking at four and eight yet again. I think so far this year, offensive line's disappointed quite a bit, given up a ton of pressure against lesser competition. Maybe those teams are blitzing more than other teams will, but like Dungy's been under fire. Tommy DeVito, his, his backup's been under fire. Run game's really gotten clogged up in the middle. You're definitely seeing less time to throw than we would have imagined, uh, despite all this offensive line experience. Receivers have also shown themselves to be, I wouldn't say super, super green, but green enough that like they're going to need a couple more weeks to really start to get set in their new roles. Most of these guys really didn't have much of an impact on, on the offense previously. Um, and then defensively, if we don't blitz, I, I'm very surprised how, how much the secondary can't really cover anybody in space. So feel free to throw on us on Saturday. That's interesting, the, the old August uh, scheme change. No, uh, no indication from spring ball. No indication from spring ball. And to be honest, no indication so far this season either since we, uh, we faced two run, well, supposedly run-centric teams um, in Western Michigan and Wagner, uh, weeks one and two. So we've mostly rolled out a 4-3 um, against you guys. I'm really not sure what we're going to do. Obviously, like, personnel says stop Cam Akers at all costs. But at the same time, like, since the nickel's kind of based on, you know, stopping a spread, 
I think we we might have to show both looks in this game. I don't really know how that's going to go with a young group that might not be able to to make the transition easily. Well, it will be really interesting. Obviously, Syracuse quarterback Eric Dungy is one of the best in the league, and heck, maybe the best in the league. I mean, unless I'm forgetting somebody, right? As, as long as he's upright. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he's got the mo- I think he's got the highest ceiling. Not from a like talent perspective, just from a production uh, standpoint, and like perhaps Kelly Bryant's better, perhaps uh, Josh Jackson's better. I mean, DeAndre Francois when he's on can be. I just think right now though, Dungy's probably got the, the best combination of experience and just like a, a, an attitude of of I don't really care what happens to me as long as I get the first down or touchdown. <laughs> and that uh, that obviously benefits him quite a bit as long as he's not getting injured. That, that makes a lot of sense. I mean. I liked Francois a lot more before the knee injury. Now he doesn't seem to have the same mobility. And uh, you'll get a chance to see that on Saturday because he, he'll take a lot of steps to get where he's going. <laughs> um, so the Wagner game, I have a hard time getting a read on Syracuse. What can we take away from the Western Michigan game? Uh, I think you you learn a lot of what we learned last year, that this team kind of rises and falls with Dungy. Somehow on offense and defense, it, the defense responds to, to how he plays and the energy he brings. I mean, I don't know how much you saw the Wake Forest game last season where we were up big in the first half. Everything completely fell apart in the second half. And, you know, it was another one of those like 60 to 40 type games for Syracuse. Dungy wasn't in that game at all. And in this Western Michigan game, I mean, we were up 34 to seven and a half game looked like it was completely in hand. Dungy comes out. Western Michigan just completely opens it up, spreads the ball out, victimizes the entire secondary. And Dungy's got to come back in by about the six-minute mark in the third quarter. So to me, the biggest takeaway was, like, Dungy somehow lifts all boats on the entire team. But also, this offense, when he was in, was moving at a much more efficient and a much faster pace than I've seen for the last two years. And, and, and it was actually moving the ball well on the ground, too. So my biggest takeaway is probably... Maybe this offense is finally coming together and looking like what it should on a consistent basis. We've seen glimmers um, in the past, but but now it does look like it's finally rounding into form despite some of the offensive line and receiver issues I mentioned. That's that's awesome, though, at least, you know, on the offensive side of the ball. So Western Michigan, looking at this, I mean, they threw for 379, but they also rushed for, gosh, like 250? They pretty much did whatever they wanted in the second half. So why did the defense quit when the quarterback, like, was that just kind of a, a signal to them that, hey, all right, Dungy's out of the game, and so we got this thing in hand, we can relax? Uh, honestly, like, <laughs> I, 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 was, I was watching the game, and the second they scored the first touchdown, I remember turning to my wife and going, this doesn't look good. And, and, and most Syracuse fans had the same feeling, to be honest, because you saw – it, it was it was a little bit of relaxing. There's just this intensity level for some reason when Dungy's not in that that lacks on the entire team. I I don't necessarily buy it because there there shouldn't be. He plays one position out of 22. There, there's absolutely no reason why he should affect you know the, the defense when he's not even on the field. But for some reason, yeah, that there there was a little bit of quit. There was maybe some overconfidence after a 27 point lead. Some of these younger guys perhaps got a little too ahead of themselves. But once we stop blitzing as much and we're just kind of trying to sit back and play prevent like that's when you started seeing those holes develop and a lot of single coverage and a lot of them beating us deep that makes a lot of sense like, I, I'm just looking at, at the drive chart first drive for western eight yards next drive zero yards picked off next drive minus one 
Next yards, they do go 90. Okay. Then two yards, then four yards. And then after that, it's 74, 58, 95, 66, 75, 12, which is a pick, 18, and then 98, which is kind of garbage time. Uh, man, that's a really interesting way of looking at that, though. I mean, still, you know, 100-yard quarters is not great, but when you play at Syracuse's tempo, it's, it's not that bad either as far as what the defense is allowing. We need to speak about our second sponsor of the night, Madison Social, Townships, and Trawl. Those are the three great restaurants which make up the For the Table restaurant group. I love all the stuff Madso does. They're just they're creative. They're in touch with the fan base. But it doesn't work without the food. And Madso has legitimately good food. They're right there in the heart of College Town, uh, just you know, in the shadow of Doe Campbell Stadium. Right across the street is Central. They actually have a chef on site. And uh, as well as Township. Just just a, a great trio of restaurants. I wish we had those spots there when I, when I was in Tallahassee. Because when I was in Tallahassee, there, I mean, there were a couple spots that were solid, but they're closed down now. And, and nothing really like that. But I don't think the kids know just how fortunate they are to have those spots. So very cool there. Also, check out the For the Table podcast. An interesting listen, especially if you're in the Tallahassee area. What other areas of the team have impressed you this year? One guy who's definitely standing out on the defense, he, he's also let up some big plays, but he's playing like a high-risk, high-reward style right now in the secondary is uh, safety Andre Sisko. Uh, he was a guy from Long Island. He played at IMG last year um, to just get some more playing time, some more reps. The guy's got three picks in two games. He uh, He's definitely shown himself to have a nose for the ball, and I think that's something that Syracuse has really lacked. Tampa, too, hasn't necessarily been like very dynamic in terms of forcing turnovers, so he's helping change that a little bit. Offensively, um, obviously, Dungy's been impressive as hell. 200 rushing yards against Western Michigan. Hopefully, something like that's not necessary against Florida State, win or lose. But seeing him just kind of, you know, be a gamer and 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 finding ways, finding ways to to continue to impact the game without taking unnecessary hits through two is is encouraging to me. Also, think the running game has looked a little bit better. Um, Mo Neal really has some nice game-breaking ability. He's uh, one of the fastest guys on the team, and I think we're starting to use him a little bit more than Dante Strickland. Uh, I know it's garbage time, and especially against Wagner, but like Jarvin Howard, true freshman for us from Mississippi, guy just runs like angry. I, I think no matter who the opponent, you can at least see that in a guy, and, and he had a lot of big gains last week. So I, I hope we hope maybe we have our, our short yardage uh, solution there with him. I, I get to see Cisco a lot. Uh, he was an IMG kid, like you said. Yeah, uh, I thought that was a that was a good get at the time for uh, for Syracuse. I, I remember being up in the box and uh, I was talking to one of their one of their coaches, and I was like, "Who on this team does it just not make sense to you that like more teams are not on?" And he's like, "Oh, Cisco. I don't get it. Cisco is is pretty good. You know, just just kind of little things you you put you put in the back of your mind. Are, are they playing Tampa two this year? They're playing. T- I mean." The, the thing with the Tampa 2 for them is that they use it more as a guiding principle versus like an actual scheme. So they definitely started incorporating a lot more blitzing last year than the Tampa 2 usually dictates. You know, typically you're stopping the run and then you're going to be dropping back your linebackers into coverage and all that. I, I think last year they tried to incorporate linebackers into blitzing more because all of those guys were recruited to blitz. This year, we're seeing some of that. I, I honestly, I, I think the Tampa 2 moniker at this point for, for Syracuse, at least, is just, it's just, it's put out there, but I don't really think it means anything. I, I think this team is going to play, is going to 
scheme for for what the personnel dictates. And while we have some of that personnel on the roster, I don't think it's ready to, to start yet. So we still have to con- continue cycling through like the end of the you know Scott Schaefer era recruits, and we're still like a year or two away from from those guys kind of finishing out their time. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. I, I guess when I, when I think Tampa too, I think okay. They've got really good defensive linemen who can get pressure without blitzing, and they've got, uh, you know, maybe not great athleticism at corner, but but good length that can help support the run well on the edge, so that, you know your safeties can can play back. You know what I mean? That that just seems the antithesis of, of what you've been describing <laughs> of their personnel. Yeah, we uh, we don't really have any of that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay, that, that's it's kind of been the problem. I mean, on offense, like. On offense, we were lucky enough to have a guy like Dungy when you had a complete like script change in terms of how the offense conducts itself. Having someone dynamic like him, no, this offense doesn't look the way Dino Babers would like it to, but he has you know game-changing ability that, that lets it be something different and still succeed. And, and I think that's also why, though, at the same time, while I love Dungy and he's played really well, that's why you've seen the Syracuse offense kind of come along slowly in Baber's scheme, I think on defense, we had the same mismatch. The problem was we didn't have too many guys like Dungy um, or some of the receivers we've had at SU over the last couple of years that have been able to adapt. So I think the defense is probably about a year behind the offense in terms of that that, that switch to the new the, the new coaching staff and, and what they need out of them. Just looking at the depth chart on, on the defense, I mean, obviously you know, 9.4 yards of play to Western Michigan after hearing about how it happened – probably isn't quite as indicative of who they are. Not, not saying they're good or anything. It looks like, according to the depth chart, they're all the starters are, are juniors or seniors. Yeah, I mean, we've had so many injuries over the years, too, that like a lot of these guys have been getting playing time since freshman year. Like Chris Frederick, he hasn't looked great this year, but last year he had some moments. He had moments against Miami, Clemson, like where he was playing like he was one of the 10 to 15 best corners in the league. Like he... He, he can be good. He just needs that safety help up top. Evan Foster's a junior, but has had limited results. Antoine Cordy's been injured for the last two seasons. E- even the guy, like for the juniors, most of them have been playing on and off since freshman year. Like the seniors, seniors have not really gotten the same playing time that their year would necessarily indicate. So when they're when they're getting beat in the secondary, is it guys not doing their assignments? Is it guys running wide open, or is it guys just getting beat physically? You know, I guess I'm just surprised with you know, like, like you said, they do have more experience than they did prior, with the exception of the linebackers. Like, what exactly is happening there? I, I've, I've watched the highlights. I'll confess, I've not actually watched the, the full game of of Syracuse Western Michigan. It's tough without the all twenty two to see everything, but uh, what I have noticed is you're seeing the younger guys bite a lot. They're biting on fakes. They're biting to come up and run coverage, um, especially against a, a better running team like uh, Western Michigan and probably you guys. Like somebody's going to bite and it's going to cause a big play. Um, corners aren't necessarily covering guys, you know, on the short end of the field, and, and you're seeing they're not super fast. So guys are so fast. Receivers are just beating them off the line. Um, we can't cover them too far out because then they're just going to victimize us in the screen game. So we're playing far back to try to account for uh, the fact that we don't have the speed, but then receivers are still being able to get past them and then find that space where safeties are either playing too far back or they've missed their read. So like, I don't necessarily know if any of that gets fixed right now. It could be fixed by the end of the year, but it's, it's something that, that's persisted pretty much since Babers arrived. 
Show also brought to you by Resolution Home Loans. Let's make a resolution that Florida State will get to a bowl game. I tell you what, I feel a little more confident, though, that Resolution Home Loans will give you a great loan experience than I do FSU getting to a bowl game. We'll just have to see how this goes. Resolution Home Loans with Chad and Shannon, two great Knowles. They want to help you out. They want to give you a great loan. They want to close you fast, and they want to have great communication with you throughout the process. If you're a first-time home buyer, or maybe you're an experienced veteran in this process, definitely check them out. That also goes as well for realtors. Are you looking for somebody to hook up, potential buyer, with financing? Resolution Home Loans will get get it done for you. 844-FSU-LOAN. That's 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. That's FSUHomeLoans.com. Check out Resolution Home Loans today. How do you think... Just given that, you know, I know Florida State wants to be a running offense. I mean, if you look at, at Taggart's run, you know, pass ratios in terms of, of true run to p- true pass in the last three seasons, they were pretty consistently in the top 15, you know, so that, I mean, of college football, which is, you know, they're in basically top 10 percent-ish. This year so far, they've not, they've not been able to do that against Virginia Tech, somewhat understandable uh, against Sanford, kind of pathetic. I know here in FSU country, everybody's pretty worried about this offensive line. They're down several starters now. They've got guys playing out of position. You've got you got a, a guard playing tackle replacing another guard who was playing tackle. You've got a defensive tackle uh, playing guard. You've got a starting left tackle who was pulled for the game for just, I mean, really, to be honest, what looked like poor effort. But I think the kid was just overwhelmed and, and started to panic a little bit and forget his technique because he didn't look that bad against Virginia Tech, which is kind of weird to look that poor against Sanford. I mean, it's it, it's a mash unit of epic portions at, at exactly the time that they could not afford to have it. So who is going to be the name on Syracuse's defensive line who we hear the broadcast talking up as a potential NFL guy because he's going to destroy FSU's offensive line and, and get seven tackles for loss, even though Syracuse only has, I think, 11 on the season? Um, I mean, as far as the guys getting tackles for loss, it's prob- probably Chris, Chris Slayton. And Chris Slayton was uh, he was at Media Day um, down in Charlotte back in uh, July August? Like he's he's a big dude. He's been a run stuffer this whole time. The statute doesn't necessarily always yield that out, but like the only time Syracuse has been able to stop the run these past couple seasons, it's been because of him. He's someone who's probably going to make a, a big impact if we can stop anything on the interior part of the line. Um, Alton Robinson's a guy who I I'm pretty high on. Like he came in as a JUCO transfer late, late in the offseason last year. Uh, now he's had an entire offseason in the weight program. He's really been able to understand the scheme. Um, he led us in sacks last year. I, I think that he's going to end up, if SU is really going to blitz your line, and they, I, I would assume they do, you're probably going to hear Alton Robinson, number 94. You're going to hear his name and number called quite a bit. Offensively, I, I read your Q&A with, uh, with DK on, on Tomahawk. The offensive line has not performed quite as well as you guys thought it would, it would have with, with all the experience you had coming back and the addition of a JUCO transfer. What, what do you think the reason is? Uh, I mean, second half of Western Michigan, I can understand a little bit, um, only because the Broncos are blitzing pretty much every down. There was a fight at one point that, uh, that ended up knocking Evan Adams, one of our starting guards, out. Just the same, like we didn't necessarily look awesome against Wagner either, though. Um, obviously, they were they were going to be blitzing a ton too, but still Wagner. I feel like hopefully the FSU game gives us a better gauge 
it'll probably be at least in the beginning a more kind of even matchup. I feel like we 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 gained a lead so quickly against Western Michigan that you know right away they were in kind of like desperation mode. So I think hopefully a, a game that's a little more evenly matched at the beginning gives us a better idea of what this offensive line is. But really they're they're getting they're getting blown up right at the point of attack. They're getting blown up in the middle in particular. Like Aaron Service, who's like who was a tackle coming in, he's transitioned to center. He's done a decent job there, but I would say if anyone is getting like blown up and was getting blown up last year, it's him. Um, and that's kind of preventing us from being able to move that football uh, between the tackles, which is like the crux of this offense. And that's how typically in, in the Babers scheme, you're going to start being able to, you know, get guys open out wide because you're sucking in that defense. I'm really fascinated to see this game. I, obviously, we're, I know you, I'm probably probably keeping you too long here, but because the offenses that Willie and Dino run are so similar in terms of spacing and tempo and wanting to make sure the defense respects the quarterback in the run game, I know the the actual run concepts are a little bit different because, you know, FSU's is more, in theory, kind of Stanford from the spread. And I, I think Dino is closer to just kind of more more pure Babers, right, from, from how I understand it? I, I'd say that's a, that's a pretty accurate characterization. You know, so to me, that that's... That's very interesting how this thing will go down, and, and I'm, I'm I think Florida State has a, a much better defense than Syracuse does, but I don't know if the gap between FSU's defense and Syracuse defense is bigger than the gap between Syracuse's offense and FSU's offense because right now, you know, they're they're not really able to block, which is an issue, and uh, they also don't seem to make the right reads too often. It was improved in the last game, but you know that's also against uh, against Sanford. In a, in a non-hostile environment. Do you expect the Dome to be pretty rocking? I expect the Dome to be on the louder side. I, I think we're probably going to be sitting around forty to 42,000, so not a full house by any means. There's going to be a lot of FSU fans there too. If it, if it gets to be a game late, though, I mean, any, anyone who watched the Clemson game last year knows, like, Syracuse fans might not be the loudest in-game, but when it starts to get down to, like, crunch time and everything, that place is loud, that place can be deafening. Echoes are pretty bad. There's a lot of factors that if, if you know, younger guys on FSU's roster haven't been there before, um, it's something that, you know, could potentially, you know, affect the way they play, especially on offense if you're trying to hear signals. I expect FSU to, to win out in, in this battle, but, like, I, I do think it's going to be a, a close, albeit high-scoring game nonetheless. I, I was kind of thinking the same thing. We, we, we spoke just briefly before I hit the record button, and we're both – feeling the game where where both sides could get in the 40s 48 42 is my my pick i think it's going to be an absolute shootout <laughs> that's that's very possible God, i was thinking like 45 40 and still that that's that's decently over the total of 60 i think as we sit here tonight 68 and three as, as the uh as the side uh yeah and i mean i like, like i've said a couple times online like if, if, if you can if you can get the odds at 68 or anything near there like i when i was on our podcast earlier in the week i said anything under 80 I, I'm, I'm taking that over i can't blame you for that i mean that that, that seems <laughs> that seems like the right shot because I, I do feel like florida state after seeing how syracuse has struggled against the blitz will look to blitz a lot right to, to get them off schedule and uh, you know, see if they can rattle Dungy and hit him. And, and with that, that's going to also lead to some big scores for, you know, for Syracuse and some fast scores. Uh, and and maybe, well, maybe Florida State's tempo will be uh, influenced by by Syracuse's tempo in this game. I know they both want to go fast, and uh, you know, it wasn't like Virginia Tech really went 
all that fast, and you know Sanford at times, but this will this will definitely be a little bit different looking. So I'm I'm looking forward to it for the rest of the year. I mean, do you feel like like a bowl is a reasonable expectation for this team now? Yeah, I, I mean, you look at the schedule like after you guys. Uh, we've got UConn. I think you know Louisville's taking a step back. Obviously, the NC State might have taken at least a half step back. So th- th- those could potentially be wins. I think Pitt. We really don't know what they are yet. Um, I wouldn't necessarily draw a lot of conclusions from you know blowout loss to Penn State. I mean, if you, if you take those three and, and you just chalk up losses, even if you chalk the loss to FSU, that still gets us. It still gets us about where we need to be. Syracuse has been good for an upset every year under under Babers. So. If it's not this week, I'd probably circle Louisville as the other likely candidate. I think six wins as long as Dungy's healthy. I mean, that, that's really been the case the entire time Dungy has been at Syracuse. Six wins was always in the cards, not not by the numbers, but just by him dragging the team there um, every year. But we've, we've yet to really see him much in November. So if he can actually get some meaningful November snaps, I, I'd be shocked if we, if we weren't hitting the six-win plateau. I think that's real reasonable. I mean, just looking at this, it, they, Syracuse definitely gets the right draw from, from the other division this year. I mean, you'd like to get Virginia, but North Carolina is probably the worst team in, in the league this year, right? They might be one of the worst Power 5 teams other than, like, Kansas and Rutgers. They, they lost to East Carolina. I mean, East Carolina by is, East Carolina. I, I think, worse than some FCS team. I mean, East Carolina got – I mean, it wasn't really all that close when they lost to uh, – Oh, NCAA uh, yeah, I mean, they lost to North Carolina A&T. That's... They were like 129th in S&P, I think, when the season started, like somewhere around there. Yeah, ECU is really bad. It, it, and, and to lose to them by, by 22 points <laughs> is wild. Um, now, by the way, the school did confirm that the, uh, the hurricane cancellation of their game this weekend will not impact the suspension. So if you're worried that, that they were actually going to have to serve a full three games, don't. Um, that, <laughs> yeah, that's apparently time served for UNC. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I think we have, there's only like one guy who's going to miss our game. Cause I think they staggered some of them. Well, John, I really appreciate it. Uh, they can follow you on Twitter at John Casillo. That's uh, J-O-H-N-C-A-S-S-I-L-L-O. Two, L- two S, two L's? Two S's, two L's. Two S, two L's, John. At John Casillo. Great follow on Twitter. Not a lot of hot takes, but a lot of a lot of great Syracuse info, ACC info, and just a, an interesting good follow. So somebody I, I definitely endorse on that. And visit Noon's Magician in the SB Nation Network. All right, y'all. So that will do it uh, for this week. You know, I'm I'm feeling okay about this game. I don't really think there's a way that DeAndre Francois will become you know less comfortable in this offense. I don't think Cam Akers will become less patient in this offense. Right. I think there are some areas where this team will will improve with more more experience. You know, I, I talked to John after we got done hitting record and and he said, you know, we really didn't click for for Syracuse until like game 5 or 6 in this new system. It does take some time and and I look I'm confident they will click at some point. The fear long term of course is that they might get more comfortable in the system and then just with this offensive line just not have the the players to physically block some of these opponents on the schedule. Syracuse, though, I I don't think I don't know for a fact, but I don't I don't think is one of those teams that has the ability to dominate Florida State up front. I'm not saying they won't get tackles for loss. I'm sure they'll get a couple, but I don't think they'll be able to shut down Florida State up front quite like some future opponents on the schedule will. So if Florida State can get it coached up in just a week, 
and have better communication up front, allow fewer free rushers, uh, guys who are just not touched, I do feel okay about their shot in this game. And I, I don't think they'll just lay down and quit, right? There's too many guys on this team who have embraced the new culture, who have bought in, and and who want this thing to work. I think that they, they have a decent shot to win this game. And if they do, then I think you really got to like their chances of going to a bowl. So with that, five stars on iTunes, please. As always, tell your friends. If you're listening on Southwest Florida or Fox Sports Radio, uh, awesome. Very much welcome you all there as well. And uh, please do check out Noon's Magician. Great website in the Espionition Network, uh, a sister site of Tom Hawk Nation.